This is Southern New Hampshire's home for the Boston Red Sox. On ESPN New Hampshire Radio, WGAM Manchester, WGHM Nashua. I feel a little boogie coming on. What do you think? Me and Tom were on the same page. It was something where I had a you know option to go to the corner of the middle field, and um, you know we saw the same thing. And Tom made a great throw, and it was I think it was the time the point in the game where we needed you know, someone to step up and make a big play, and I was just happy that I was able to do that for this team. Tom Brady after the play fake deep pass, man running open, Chris Hogan off to the races, touchdown New England, no flags on the play. Hogan from Monmouth College with the biggest catch of his pro football career. Spooner tosses the backhand to Boone. Back to Spooner and Bloody Dinks. He scores! Spooner sticks a fork in him and the Bruins win in sudden death, beating Montreal at Bell Center 2 1. Hockey justice for the Bruins tonight, Jack. It was a, uh, it was a big game for us. It was, it was a big game for us, and they played home in December on Monday night against a great defense. It was uh, important for us to come out and, uh, and play well. We knew it was going to be a 60-minute game. You know, they're a tough defense. Um, and like I said, I think there were some plays I wish we all would have had back. And uh, But, you know, they're a competitive team. They forced you into some errors, and uh, it was great to finish the game with the ball in our hands. That was a, uh, you know, we always loved doing that. 
always a 12-rounder with these guys. Um, that's just how it is. They're a tough football team. Um, you know, but it's, it's definitely good to go out and get a W. Oh, if you're a Boston sports fan, what a way to start the week, huh? What a Monday night in the Boston sports world. The Bruins in Montreal chase away their demons, specifically Tuka Rass, getting only, what is it, I think it's second win ever in the Bell Center in his career. And showing once again that he is a uh, top of Vesna Trophy candidate. The Bruins take a 2-1 overtime win in what I thought was proof that you can still have low-scoring, passionate, fun hockey, clean hits. Just, it was a rivalry game, and it, and it translated on the ice, and it was great to watch. And then south of the border here, closer to home in Foxborough, another rivalry game. And that rivalry came out in the, in the play on the field as well, specifically in the play of one Tom Brady. We all know Tom Brady's having a great season. We all know how great he is and what he what he's doing and you know, we can go on and on. But the emotion he showed last night, the intensity, the fun he was having. I mean, it's it's refreshing. It really is. It's refreshing to see a guy that age that's played that long still just like he's out in the schoolyard. Throwing that ball around, having a great time as he helps the Patriots beat their rival, the Baltimore Ravens. And I I think really just send this team on their way. They'll go into mile high next week, and that's going to be a tough game as always, no matter how good or bad the Broncos may be playing. It's always tough in the mile high city for the New England Patriots. But, you know, if they play with that emotion and they can get their special teams together, Things should be uh, looking pretty good for the Patriots. But what a night. What a night. The stretch run here in ESPN New Hampshire. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy. Justin Sullivan working the boards. Sully, how you doing? Good. I'm feeling I'm feeling good about last night. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, it, it, it started exactly how I thought it was going to start. And to me, last night, it was about the defense. As great as Tom Brady played, as great as the offense played, as great as they looked, Last night, for me, it was about the defense. I texted you during the game. It's about the defense, and they played angry last night. They, played they stepped angry. up. They, they, they played like they were sick of hearing about the Ravens' number one defense, which is exactly yeah, or, what or I Or that, uh, that Joe Flacco was going to pick apart their I, secondary. I was, I was blown away about how good the defense played. It was all about the defense. Oh, yeah. You know, I expect Tom Brady to go out there and beat Tom Brady. I just, yep. Until it doesn't happen anymore, I expect that from him. I did not expect that from the defense last night. Really, what got the team going was the safety. Was the safety in the block kick? That was the special teams and defense is what got that team going. Because the start of the game, yeah, the Ravens defense didn't look good at the end, but the beginning of the game, it went exactly how I thought it was. They shut them out the first couple series, and they were struggling to start. And the defense gets the safety, they get the block kick. All of a sudden, momentum completely flipped. And if it wasn't for uh, Cyrus Jones and Matthew Slater, that wouldn't have been as close as it was. That would the game, the score would have been completely different. You know, they probably would have took care of business, and and it would have been a blowout. But the de- it was all about the defense last night to me. That that is a good sign. If I'm taking anything from this game last night, it's that the defense showed up, 
and they looked they looked angry. They played angry. They played angry. And they they played that. With, they played with emotion. They played like it actually meant something. Yeah. It wasn't like they were just playing the San Francisco 49ers. They it meant something last night. It was a playoff game. It yep. was a playoff atmosphere. And going forward, that's a big key because they're you know the Ravens are good, but they're going to face other teams with quarterbacks that can really play. I mean, Joe Flacco's a good quarterback. He's not elite. He's not uh-huh. you know everything. He's won Super Bowl. That's great, but. You're going to face better offenses, and this defense needs to be there. You can't win championships without a defense. How many how many times have the Patriots won a Super Bowl without a good defense? It hasn't happened. You know, if you go back throughout the years, how many Super Bowl teams have won without a good defense? It just doesn't happen. So last night, for me, it was all about the defense. Yes, Tom Brady played great. Offense looked good. But the defense is the key last yeah, night. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, and it's a good time for them to – find their form and, and get it going and uh yeah it was a, it was a statement game for them for sure i mean the score does not do the game justice in terms of how great the defense was i mean obviously without the uh the botched punt returns the kick returns uh from the special teams the mess it's that a blow is up. the special teams excuse me that game was a blow up oh yeah yeah they they had that wrapped up i mean that was a blow up. and they, they, baltimore shouldn't have even been sniffing anything there but uh yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome to see the D step up. It, it was just, it was, I, I think there was a lot of doubt about the defense, obviously, but in general oh, yeah. around the Patriots going, oh, how are they going to play? Like you said, it's not the 49ers, not the Rams. How are they going to play against a real team? That's why I picked the Ravens. I, I was doubting the defense. Yeah, and I you knew know Tom Brady would be the there. The New England Patriots said, if there's any doubt that we're the number one screw team you. in the AFC, <laughs> yeah, screw you. We're coming at you right now. Bring it, Oakland. Bring it, Denver. By the way, uh, we are going to have Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports shut down corner on in the next segment. And he's got an interesting uh, interesting dissection of the whole playoff scenarios right now. Hmm. And it's really interesting because there's one scenario, and I urge everybody to go check it out. Yahoo Sports shut down corner. And I'll read this right here from Eric today. And we'll, we'll ask him about this when we have him on. Um, Eric says, in fact, there is at least one scenario where two AFC West teams could be playing for a number one seed and all the riches that go along with that or be left home for the postseason. As things stand now, the Oakland Raiders, Kansas City Chiefs, and Denver Broncos are jockeying for a division supremacy right now and everything is up for grabs. The New York Times has a fantastic tool that gives odds on every playoff permutation based on the remaining games and gives simulations to provide odds for teams' chances at making the playoffs, earning a first-round bye, winning the division, and so on. And there's this one wild scenario we came across. It's remote, but it could happen. Now, I don't think it happens based on the way the Patriots played last night, but it could happen. The Broncos and Raiders face off in Week 17 in what could be a massive game. I think it's going to be a massive game either way. Yeah. But Eric goes on. In one scenario, each team could be staring at the chance to earn the top seed in the AFC with a win. Or lose the game and miss out on the playoffs entirely. Derek Carr's Raiders heading into the defending champs building with everything on the line. Sign us up. Via the Times, here are the Raiders' odds, and he has a link to it, entering the game if they lose in Week 15 and 16. Here are the Broncos' chances if they win their next two heading into Week 17 finale. And to double-check our math, we use this ESPN.com playoff machine. He links that as well. And came up with how that would look. And he shows a Photoshop or a photo grab of uh, these two scenarios. 
which I don't understand. I mean, this means the Patriots are going to have to lose three games. That would yeah, that would mean the Patriots lose the next three games. So that's the big if right there. I mean, and that's what they're hinging it on. I mean, Patriots win next week, they clinch the first round by. Done. Yeah, it's over. That's so, it, right? Yeah, it's over. They clinch the first. It doesn't round matter by. what anyone else no, does. They win next week. It's they. They got the first round by. So. Oh, first round by. First round by. Not bye. the first. Su- first, not the first seed. First round. No, I, I'm more worried. I, I don't care about the second. Seat. No, I'm more worried about them getting the home seed all throughout. That's what they need. They would. Still they have don't to need lose to go. On, okay, there. so they're going to have to depend on others to lose. Yeah, would have to. They. Okay. The Patriots are in the driver's seat right now. They're in the number one. They spot. are in the driver's seat. You know, they would have to. But lose they it. can't clinch that outright with a win. No, they clinch it by yeah. next. They're going to have to ro- run the table, basically. Yeah. To to clinch that on their own. Without help. From other teams. If the Patriots win outright, they clinch it. Yes. Yes. Period. Yes. But even if they, but I think if more, the Patriots say win the next two games in two weeks from now, Oakland or KC loses, then they clinch as well. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I guess you. Yeah. Yeah. But for them to not have to depend on anything else except winning, they win outright. They're in. Well, I see, I'm, I'm thinking seat. of it as Oakland's going to lose in the next three games. I ex- I don't expect Oakland to run the table or Denver to run the table. As could Denver, as could KC. They all have to play each other. Yeah. So I mean, the Den- Patriots are definitely in the driver's seat. But they they don't get the top down, seed you know? next week. Yes. They, right. get, they get a first round bye. Gotcha. Okay. Now we need the top seed, and I think that's what Brady was. Uh, I I think that's what the team last night we saw them make that decision. All right. Enough. Enough messing around. We, knew, we want that top seed. We saw how Oakland played in the cold. So we want them to have to come here, if need be. They're coming here. We're not going there. We're not going to that godforsaken dump of a stadium, that cement block <laughs> base, in Oakland. Yeah. Oh, what a dump. <laughs> Did I tell you about that? It's a baseball field. It's Oakland Coliseum. Yeah. All right? Last fall, fall 2015, September. Okay. I'm out there, and... I'm staying in a hotel near there, and so I well, I'll go over and check it out. You know, it's like 12.30 in the afternoon, broad daylight. So I swing in, and there's this little area where the bus drops people off right near the, right by the parking lot, and you're about 200 yards away from the stadium. In broad daylight, I got propositioned by a prostitute. Oh, good. And I got offered crack. <laughs> wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Double whammy. In broad daylight, outside a football <laughs> 12:30 stadium. 12.30 in the afternoon. Lovely. I'm sorry, like, that's Lovely. not going to be happening in Patriot Place. Uh, no. <laughs> nope. Like, how are they still playing there? I mean, the rumors of them going to Las Vegas, that's, that's a real And I'm deal. told by many that, you know, people there, like, people, you don't, you don't go there anymore and, like, drive there. You, you, you take the BART, which is, like, their transit system, yeah. and you get in, and you get out. And you get the heck out of there. <laughs> that's... And that's proof right there. I mean, scary stuff, man. I mean, the stadium itself is disgusting, let alone the fact yeah. that the area itself is pretty bad. So, I I mean, the rumors of them going to Las Vegas are legit. I think they're out. I yeah. really do. I think they're on the way there. And, you know, Oakland's pushing back, and they've got this whole new deal planned out to build a whole new stadium. No, they're gone. I, yeah. I don't see them staying there. And even if they build them a new stadium, I still don't see them staying there. But no. that, it's a baseball field. It's a baseball field. It's not a football stadium. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And, and the the drug dealer was wearing a Broncos jersey too. Oh, that's makes that's got to take them off even more. <laughs> that makes it even worse. You're dealing drugs outside my stadium, and you're wearing a donkey's jersey. What are you jersey? doing? What at the least, heck's going least, on? I mean, at least represent. Ha- yeah, at least put a Raiders hat on. At least represent, man. Oh, God. I mean, if you're gonna be peddling this stuff, at least represent. Oh, that's horrible. Anyhow, a disaster. We've got a great show in store for Oakland. you God. today, as we always do. Stretcher on is lined up. 
looking like this on a Tuesday after the big Monday night football game and the big Bruins Habs. We've got plenty of reaction to that. Like I said, Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports, shut down corner. Check him out. One of the best in the biz. He will join us shortly in the next segment. We will then talk to our man Bob Snow, bouncer on the college hockey world as we do every weekend at 3.40 with him. Uh, every week, every Tuesday at 3.40. We will talk to Bob Snow. And then Mick Collagio of the New Bedford Standard Times will join us to discuss the Bruins' big win and the week ahead. Oh, by the way, as if it wasn't tough enough going into Montreal to get a win. Guess who they got to play next? Hello, Pittsburgh. <laughs> Sydney. I'm on a whole nother planet, Crosby, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Did you see that goal he scored last night? I missed it. I missed it. Oh, do yourself Unreal. a favor. Check it out in a break. Absolutely insane. The, the hand-eye coordination on this guy. Insanity. So, yes, the winners of seven in a row will host the Boston Bruins tomorrow in Pittsburgh uh, as the Bruins try to keep it going after a big win in Montreal. We'll talk to Michelagio about cool. that. We will also talk to Peter Yiannopoulos of TSN and RDS. He's my good friend from Montreal, former UMass basketball assistant coach. He'll give us some Celtics insight, and we'll bounce around the NBA with him. From there, we will go back here to Manchester and talk to our good friend Rich Seeley, the head coach of the Manchester Monarchs, as he joins us for his weekly visit. And we'll close things off with more Patriots talk with Zach Cox, from Nesson.com. We'll recap the game last night, get his impressions, and maybe start looking ahead to the game in Denver. It's about high. that time. It's about that time. Yeehaw! <laughs> Yeehaw! How many times are we going to play that this week? we got to get a, a donkey soundbite in here. Oh, it's easy. We're going to play it Done. nonstop. Done. Already. Yeah. <laughs> Done. You know how much I hate the donkeys. Garbage. I, I try to stay objective, <laughs> being a sports host. And a reporter. But there's just some things I can't control. And one of them is my hatred for the Denver Broncos. Cannot garbage. stand them. Exactly. They are garbage. 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 You even do crack outside the Oakland Coliseum. Wait, what? <laughs> you heard it here in the stretch run first. <laughs> On ESPN New Hampshire. We got a great show. Stay with us. We'll be back. Show me some of them Spanish Oh, and by the way, this is for Cyrus Jones. We feel you, buddy. You'll get it together. We'll be back. Help me believe in anything. Cause I want to be someone who believes. Yeah. Mr. Jones and me tell each other fairy tales. I will step Stretch Run with Jimmy Murphy. Weekdays from 3 to 6 right here on ESPN New Hampshire.
There's no better place to watch football than Buffalo Wild Wings. Monday night, Thursday night, or all day Sunday, visit your local Buffalo Wild Wings at 8 Loudon Road in Concord or inside the Mall of New Hampshire in Manchester for the best football watching experience. While you're there, grab a Bud or Bud Light Hall Draft for only $3.49 or a Goose Island IPA for $4.99 all December long. Join the fun for Bud Light Wednesday Night Trivia at Buffalo Wild Wings where you can test your knowledge and win great prizes like ski tickets. Buffalo Wild Wings in Concord and Manchester. Wings, beer, sports. The money-saving tip. Coming at you with another money-making tip. How to save money effectively. Tired of overpaying for stuff? Then head to ESPNNHradio.com and check out the ESPN New Hampshire Deals page. You can save up to 50% on deals from all your favorite local businesses and restaurants. Why pay full price when gift cards and gift certificates are only a few clicks away? So start saving now by going to ESPNNHradio.com and checking out the new ESPN New Hampshire Deals page. You're welcome. Are you tired of that same old hairstyle? Do you find yourself pacing up and down the hair care aisle looking for that right look? Now is the time to let Fausto from Manchester give you that new look. Fausto will transform your look from the same old same to show-stopping in one visit. Call or text Fausto today at 603-674-7255. That's 603-674-7255. Call now before the holidays pass you by. Should you worry about identity theft during the tax season? The answer is yes. The IRS reported over $6 billion in fraudulent refunds in a single year just due to identity theft. Does it matter if you're not getting a refund this year? No, it doesn't because thieves can use the information from your tax documents to commit crimes. They can drain your bank account, open fraudulent credit card accounts. They can do it well after the tax season ends. Maybe you think you're okay because you have free credit monitoring. Free credit monitoring might tell you there's a problem but they don't help you solve that identity theft problem. LifeLock will. As a LifeLock member, if you're a victim of ID tax fraud, the U.S.-based team of specialists know how to step up, make the calls to help resolve identity theft now. Get peace of mind with LifeLock. Memberships start at just $9.99 a month, plus applicable taxes. Enrollment only takes a minute. Call 1-800-877-0544 or go to LifeLock.com now and use the promo code PATRICK. That's PATRICK to save 10% on your membership. 800-877-0544. Imagine this. Your 14-year-old daughter and her best friends are maybe getting ready to go out. They're maybe upstairs in her bedroom with music playing. They're laughing, maybe trying on clothes, putting on too much makeup, and maybe taking sips of vodka straight out of the bottle, which they might tuck into someone's purse to take to a party. Imagine your kid doing that. It may be hard to imagine, but it is happening. New Hampshire has a big alcohol abuse problem. In fact, New Hampshire ranks second in the nation for binge drinking among 12 to 20-year-olds. Second, you can check the stats at checkthestatsnh.org. As parents, we want to protect our kids, but we have to start now before it's too late. Learn how you can make a difference in your child's life at checkthestatsnh.org and help the Partnership for a Drug-Free New Hampshire start the conversation today. Outdoor Almanac, brought to you by New Hampshire Fish and Games Wildlife Journal. With firearm season here, it's time to address a couple of misconceptions. First is that if you make it back after a day in the woods of hunting, consider yourself lucky. Truth is, national surveys show more people are injured playing tennis, golf, and bowling than injured while hunting. As a matter of fact, New Hampshire has an enviable record. The second misconception is that during deer season, it's not safe to walk down the road or in the woods behind your house. Not true. 
sportsmen and women know what their targets are and what's behind them before they ever raise their firearm or draw the bow. A little common sense from non-hunters will allow them to enjoy the outdoors this time of year, like the hunters do. Just don't wear clothing which is colored brown or white. Wear an article of hunter orange and walk and talk like you ordinarily would. And there's no reason why hunters and non-hunters alike can't share the woods. Outdoor Almanac is brought to you by New Hampshire Fish and Game's Wildlife Journal, the magazine for people with outside interests. We can't ever leave Mom alone. Someone always has to be with her. Most Americans with Alzheimer's disease are cared for at home by family members. My grandmother's Alzheimer's disease has affected my whole family. I do what I can to help. I love her, but sometimes it's just too much. Approximately 50% of people over 85 have Alzheimer's disease. The impact on American families is overwhelming. Call 1-800-437-2423 for more information on Alzheimer's disease. You like what you hear? Now you can read it with daily blogs on ESPNNHradio.com. Stretch Run, ESPN New Hampshire, Jimmy Murphy, your host here, Justin Sullivan, working the boards, and you know, just like the Patriots needed to hear Tom Brady going, let's go, let's go, I needed to hear that just now, and then followed by of course. Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones, I think I think that they should do that at the stadium, now. Yeah, absolutely. when it's getting a little quiet and everything, just have Brady come on the screen <laughs> doing his... Let's go, let's go, There's and then so many right into Blitzkrieg Bob. There's so many clips of that, it, and I'm watching it. I wanted to put the pads on and like run through somebody. Like, there's no way. I'm you telling don't you, I haven't that. seen him that pumped up. To, I it, think it was it, since he came back, not not this year, yeah. 
since he came back last year. I think it had. I think it was all. And of it. he wasn't suspended. It was all of it. It was. It's the fact that he's playing the Ravens and Harbaugh, which we know he can't stand Harbaugh. Terrell Suggs. He hates Terrell Suggs. Yeah, they hate each other. So you already got that a, going, and it's a playoff atmosphere. And that got him going. Then you throw in the whole little thing with the Giants oh, yeah. and Steelers. He's going to play it off. And, you, but know, you, you know, and the you know NFL not reacting to it. He's, he it, took he it plays and he it channeled it onto the field. But and you know I think it, t- it ticks him off. Yeah. You know it. He's you know. one of the best doing that in the NFL. And on to talk about that and all things NFL with us right now is our good friend Eric Edholm of Yahoo's Shutdown Corner. Uh, Eric, uh, I guess there's no other way to put it than Tom Brady just made another statement last night. Did he not? Yeah, I did. I mean, you know, you, you can look at the poor decision uh, down there in the red zone and Really, that's about the only throw. And I know there were a couple of misses early, but still, that was uh, you know that was one of the few Mars on his record last night. And you know, I, I think people realize the Ravens are a good defense, but they were giving up three hundred fewer than three hundred yards per game total. Mm. And he torches them for four oh three. You know, there were a few stops and starts. I just he, he's able to deliver when the Patriots absolutely have to have him. Edelman off, no Gronk, no you know, no Amendola. Just uh, it's just impressive to watch him work in an age where most uh, you know quarterbacks are on TV or sitting on a beach somewhere. Yeah, it's true. And you know what I love? He, you know, you look at his age right now and where he is in his career, and he doesn't have to really prove anything to anyone, right? But he goes out there as if he did. And like I was saying there in the intro, he's just so good. At channeling whatever emotions he might have, whether it's, you know, like you said, being excited about a game against the Ravens in a big-time game when they need him most, or whether maybe that whole story about the Steelers and Giants and possible Deflategate 2 and the lack of reaction from the NFL and the way it simply looked like, okay, this proves that it was a vendetta against the Patriots. He takes that, and he fuels his fire with it. And I, I, I just love his ability to be able to turn that into a positive every time. And we've seen him do it before, and he continues to do it, and that's something the Patriots are benefiting off. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and I love the way you guys set it up. I was listening when you, when you, when you started off the segment. And I hadn't really considered all of those angles. I wrote about it last night, and you know, I had some Patriots fans kind of breathing down my neck because I kind of said <laughs> something about him showing up Edelman, and I was told that that wasn't the case, and they're buddies, and I understand that. But everybody watching that game – knew what what happened, that Edelman had stopped running on the route and everything. Yeah. But there was a big picture to it. First of all, he knows Edelman can take the criticism, just like Belichick knows Brady can get called out in front yeah. of the other 52 guys and take it. So there's that element. Then there is the, the backdrop of the Ravens rivalry, which is one of the best non-divisional rivalries going right now. Then there, I, you know, I hadn't even thought about the Steelers, Giants, Deflate, Non-Gate, whatever it was. And, you know... There's the Raiders in contention. The Chiefs. People are looking for any other team to, you know, to, to, to possibly win this thing this year. So, you're right. That moment, it all came out, and that was a huge turning point in getting them going. I think. Yeah, and I just like, you know, it's. I'm glad you brought up that situation there with Edelman there, and I kind of felt the same way at first. I was like, eh. You know, don't do. You know, the cameras are on you. Don't do that. But but then at right. the same time, that's a great point you made. These guys get thick skin, and they can take it. And you know, I I don't think he would necessarily. Well, actually, I have seen him talking to Malcolm Mitchell already a lot on the sidelines, and I know that they sit next to each other in a dressing room. They've got a great relationship, from what I understand. But you know, they've got thick skin, and, and they know that it's coming from a good place. It's not Brady being condescending. It, it's him just 
being so passionate about the game and knowing that Edelman can do better than he was doing. And the fact that he was able to do that, like you said, Edelman down game, he finds Hogan who, you know, Hogan's been battling an injury. Hogan's been kind of invisible and, and out of the blue. Okay. No, we're going to throw him in, in a mix here and we're going to use him on this play action to seal the game. And, uh, it's just vintage Brady at its best, but you know, it's never too early to look ahead, Eric. And next week they go into a place that's been a house of horrors for them. Uh, they, they just him and the Patriots can never seem to win there. Something always happens. Uh, your take on this taking this win with them right now, the momentum they got from this, and how they can utilize it as they go into Denver? Because I don't care how bad Denver's playing, that game always scares me. Oh, sure. Yeah, and if I'm cutting out, I apologize. I'm finding the best spot in my house. Oh, no worries. Yeah, and yeah, I think, and I have to look, I have to remind myself or look it up, or maybe you guys know, but I think Denver is the only team against which Brady has a below 500 record. You are correct. So, I, I yeah, I think he's the only team in the NFL and, and that, that he's not had the typical success against. And we know it's a team game, but still, I mean, Brady's been a fixture. He's been there. He's been a huge part of the Patriots' success. And you're right. I mean, the Broncos have been another one of those rivals with the Patriots. that has been terrific. Denver, we remember what happened last year. And, and yep. you know, obviously, they're fighting for their lives. I mean, the Patriots have a ton of play for as well. But the Broncos right now have so much. I mean, they could miss the playoffs. They're in right now. So much can happen in the next three weeks. And, and AFC West is kind of a cluttered mess right now. And I will say this. I it could be more of a LeGarrette Blunt game, just given the fact that the Broncos' run defense has been bad lately. And they've acknowledged it. They realize mm-hmm. what they lost up the middle in the offseason. You know, you watch the Oakland tape. You watch last week against Tennessee. It's shocking how good their pass rush is and how good their coverage is. But the tackling, the angles, and the run defense as a whole has been a big problem for them. And that's probably being, been as big an issue for them as the quarterback play. I think I think they're much more comfortable with what Simeon brings to the offense than what the run defense has provided to the team this season. That's a great uh, observation there. I agree with you. And, you know, you had an interesting story today on uh, on Shutdown Corner uh, with a, a really, real. it, it could happen, a, a crazy, you'd say, wait, what? But a crazy playoff scenario that can <clears throat> unfold. You mentioned the crazy AFC West right now. I want you to talk about it to our listeners right now on how, uh, that last game between the Broncos and Chiefs could possibly determine not just the division, but maybe top seed in the in the AFC. Yeah, and and there, you know, I mean, there are a few things about the NFL I don't like. One of them is playoff playoff scenarios because they just give me the most insane headache of all time. This team needs to tie, and this team, you know, every permutation you could ever dream up. But there is a scenario where the Oakland Raiders head into Denver in Week 17, which could be the, the primetime flex uh, night game that week, where they ha- you know the, the winner could be the number one seed. Now it involves the Patriots losing to the Jets and such, but still, bear with me for a minute. The winner is the number one seed. The loser is out of the playoff, and it could happen either way. So, I mean, it's just not something you ever, ever see. I can't ever remember it being... Now, it came close last year, I believe. There was a scenario where entering week 16, we actually had that possibility. But, you know, somebody won and it it blew it up. But, again, it's one of those things that it shows you how razor thin everything is right now. And, you know, teams like the Dolphins continue to hang in there. The Ravens still in the playoff mix, the Steelers, et cetera. 
you know, the whole mess of the AFC South, possibility of Tennessee sneaking in, whatever. Yeah, so there, there are plenty of spots at stake, and the possibility of one of those teams being out is there. Obviously, the Broncos missing the playoffs is a lot more likely than, than the, uh, the Raiders right now. I want to talk about those Raiders, though, and, and the Chiefs, too. Um, as we know, a few weeks back on the show, you, you said that was a, a team you had an eye on again in the second half, just like last year, and, and they've delivered uh, since you've said that. But I want to just talk quickly about the Raiders going back to last Thursday night. I know, it's, you know we're going on almost five days now, but that, to me, for the Raiders... I'm not going to say they hadn't passed tests yet. Of course they have. But that, to me, was sort of this this game that had all these playoff elements to it. You're going into a Rosh's stadium, maybe arguably the loudest stadium in the league, uh, a division rival. It's 15 degrees Fahrenheit. Who knows what the wind chill was and how cold it actually felt. And it just had all the makings of, of, a, of a January game. And here's a team from a warm-weather climate, a team that – you know, has not been to the playoffs in a while, uh, a young team, an inexperienced team, so to speak, a very skilled team, but an inexperienced team, and they go in, and to me, that was a real kind of litmus test of how they might react in January. They go in, they don't get blown out, but they do lose, and I'm wondering, does that say anything to you about this Raiders team going forward, and, and furthermore, how important of a game is their next game in terms of reacting to that and putting it behind them? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, it's, it's one game, it's, you know, one sixteenth of the season. You don't want to put too, too much stock in it. But there always are a few games. Now, obviously, you know, you can look at anyone's record and a really good team losing to a, a bad team would be a good indication of it. And we don't, you know, we're not going to knock the, the Raiders too much for losing to a good team. But no. at the same time, I think you're right. I mean, the, the opportunities were there. Mm-hmm. They had the chances. There was that missed bomb to Damari Cooper. I don't know what happened on that throw. It was the weirdest thing ever. It could have been a 72-yard touchdown. You know, they had the false start on fourth and one inside the red zone that now becomes a much tougher fourth and six. You know they're not running the ball. Yeah. You know, you had all the penalties on the defensive side of the ball. And really, that's, for me, the biggest worry may not be weather. It could, you know, it's, I'm sure it's a factor. Derek Cardo in three lifetime in, in sub-40 degrees, but... For me, it's the defensive mistakes and the penalties. I mean, they're right up. They are the league leader. Ravens are up there too, to, to, to you know, for perspective. But, right. You know, they commit so many unforced errors. I mean, they beat the Buccaneers in Tampa and had twenty three except or twenty two penalties. <laughs> you know, and it's just like you're not going to get away with anything close to that uh, in playoffs. So that worries me about them. The defense has not come together as a unit. They've played good stretches. They have Khalil Mack. They have some playmakers there, Bruce Irvin, et cetera. But, you know, a good surgical, you know, refined offense, I think could really take them apart. That's really what worries me the most. And you can't ask Carr and those guys to just fling it and come back from, uh, from big deficits every week. Exactly. And, and, and that, to me, just reflects, you know, look, this is great. They're, they're an up-and-coming team in the NFL, and I sure. think they're going to be good for years to come. But I thought it was kind of a reminder of they're still learning, and you can't be learning in January. You, you you need to be polished by then. You need to understand the lessons you got in the season. So, you know, for them to have success in the playoffs, they could still make, but for them to be successful in the playoffs, they can take a game like that and really learn a lot from it. And you bring up their uh, their defense. I totally agree with you. 
I mean, you know, you're hearing Mac mentioned as an MVP, and I think rightfully so. But I don't know if you'd agree with me in in the sense that, you know, a quarterback, like we saw with Brady sometimes, can sometimes put a team on his shoulder way more than, say, a defensive MVP. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, obviously, in extreme examples, you know, the way we saw Von Miller playing down the stretch last year, you know, there are, there are, you know, obviously Lawrence Taylor won an MVP, I think, in 86. Yeah, there are times when a defensive player, J.J. Watt, has had that level of, of impact where it's so above and beyond, you know, but obviously a quarterback is more likely to win this kind of award. I think they would need Max to play at a, at a supersonic kind of level to get yeah. that defense as a whole to bring it up. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a fascinating team, and they're going to be good. They have a young nucleus that they built through the draft largely. The, the free agency put the old line together. The draft put almost every other position together. And that's, you know, that's encouraging if you're a, if you're a 49ers or a Bears or a Browns fan. But, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think the Chiefs are a more dangerous and polished group right now. They went through the, you know, the up-and-coming process last year. Now they seem to be kind of arriving as a team that, that could pose some problems. Yeah. Uh, right now they're the team that scares me the most, to be honest, in the AFC. Yep. I re- they really are. And I, I think – they learned from that game last year against the Patriots, and they're gonna they can apply it in the playoffs. Hey, listen, Eric, always a pleasure, my friend. Keep up the great work. We'll talk to you down the line. All right. Looking forward to it. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks. All right, Eric at home joining us from Yahoo Sports Shutdown Corner here on the Stretch Run on ESPN New Hampshire. We're gonna switch gears and talk some college hockey in the next segment with a good friend, Bob Snow. So stay with us. We'll be back. Ah, oh, but you know, yeah, that's that. You're listening to The Stretch Run with Jimmy Murphy, right here on ESPN New Hampshire. ESPNNHradio.com. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Find the latest schedules, show blogs, podcasts, and all the breaking sports news in our area, from high school to the pros. Awesome. Want some new apparel? Yeah, baby. <laughs> Visit ESPNNHradio.com for shirts, hats, and all things ESPN New Hampshire. Woo! We've got it all here. Just visit our website at ESPNNHradio.com. Hats, t-shirts, hoodies, and more are now available at ESPNNHradio.com. Get your gear today. Let me tell you about a place Somewhere up a New York way where the people are so gay Twisting the night away Here they have a lot of fun Putting trouble on the run Man, you find the old and young Twisting the night away They're twisting 
twisting, everybody's feeling great. They're twisting, twisting, they're twisting the night away. Ah, welcome back to the Stretch Run here on ESPN New Hampshire. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy. That is Justin Sullivan working the boards. That's a little Sam Cooke to you. I wonder if Sam Cooke still uh, gets played on the college campuses across the college hockey world. There's some rare exceptions like yourself, Justin, uh, in the millennial generation that do have taste in music. Um, So if they do, I mean, you would think they would turn to Sam Cooke in here. I'm telling you, dude, you play Sam Cooke for a woman, she'll melt in your hands. It's over. That's it. <laughs> it's over. That's the way to her heart. Sam Cooke and Otis Redding. And Bob Snow. Chipotle. There you go. <laughs> Sam Cooke, Otis Redding, and Bob Snow. And Bob Snow is joining us right now to talk a little college hockey and, and maybe his way to the ladies' hearts. But uh, Mr. Snow, how are you today, my friend? Well, if it's a long way to ladies' heart, I've been practicing my twisting, and I took a nap in preparation for the show. <laughs> it's a long way to Tipperary, right, buddy? I'll tell you, it gets longer. I wish I could say it gets longer, but it doesn't. <laughs> hey, anyhow, my friend. <laughs> um, it's light schedule right now in the in the college hockey world. Obviously, the kids are uh, mired in exams. There's a couple games, or a few games, are going to play out tonight. Arizona State is at AIC uh, out in West Springfield. That's an interesting one, eh? AIC trying you know to make what? a... I'll tell you, seriously. A funny story, I did a feature on AIC maybe about seven or eight years ago. Yeah. They kind of sit in the corner. They, they, and there's another team you might want to talk about down the road, but they sit in the corner of the college hockey world, and this year they're not doing too bad. I think they're hovering right around 500, which is like winning a Stanley Cup for them. And now, are they starting to, like, is this new that they're bringing in? I'm not going to say, you know, Arizona State, I know they're new to the college hockey scene, but they are a big name. Is is AIC starting to try and put themselves back on the map here by bringing in some big names like that? I don't know if it's as much that as it is the fact that Arizona State, uh, you're required to play an independent schedule the year before you come into D1. So okay. they're probably playing a wide variety of teams across the country. I haven't looked at their specific schedule, but I'm sure that they play a wide variety of teams. And they're playing at the old Olympia, where one Billy Guerin... Started off playing in West Springfield. Uh, i got to go to a game out there then if they're starting to bring in some good teams. Uh, And, of course, Yale is at number 6 BU tonight at Aganis. And then my alma mater, UMass, uh, plays Princeton down at Hobie Baker Rink in Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, And that's, you know, that's going to be it for a bit here, right, Bob? I mean, they're going to buckle down on exams and take the holiday, and then the holiday tournaments will start up, right? Yeah, I think for the most part, that's a pretty accurate statement, although it's important, I think, for listeners to know that the, Ivy, the six Ivy teams literally shut down. They play no games, I think, after this weekend. And, of course, that, I think, speaks directly to the to that phrase, student-athlete. I don't think that we have a better, if you will, example of student-athletes than the Ivy schools that literally uh, shut down their schedule, I think, for a good three weeks. Yeah, and let me ask you, do you think they should start doing that across the board? Um, you know, in college hockey and maybe even in college sports? Well, you know, Murph, that's a great story. I'm not sure that all of our listeners are aware, but college hockey, D1 has the highest graduation rate of the four major sports by far. I think it's going to be 86, 87, 80%. Of course, the teams across the country that are not the big names like D.C. and North Dakota and, and Minnesota, Duluth, and those teams with Michigan, they obviously send a lot of kids to the NHL early, but the rest of the teams, 
a, a significant percentage, up in the 80s, maybe even low 90s, for most of those other schools have a graduation rate that is unequal in all the sports. I like to think that that phrase, student-athlete, has, has some meaning. I'm not sure that we could shut everything down, but I'd like to see at least a two, maybe three-week period, with at least two weeks maybe in the middle of December to January 1. But, of course, that takes away those holiday tournaments that seem to occupy the schedule. Of course, it, it also gets ready for the World Junior Tournament. So I don't know that we'll ever find that. I think philosophically I agree with it. I just think practically and scheduling-wise it's probably not going to happen. The irony is that when these schools and all schools shut down pretty much for months in the middle of December, the middle of January, you go to the college hockey rinks in late December, early January, and the crowds are extremely small. So even big rivalries don't 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 have that big an attendance factor because the kids, the students that is, are obviously away on vacation. It's yeah. a break. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, I think out of all the the, the major college sports, hockey could be the one that could be closest to yeah. pulling that off because you think of all the TV money involved in college basketball or football yeah. and yeah. all that. But, um, yeah, you know, but it is amazing. You know, it got me thinking, and I don't mean to sidetrack here, but um, about student athletes, and you mentioned the Ivy League schools there. And I noticed that uh, Louis LeBlanc, you remember him? From Harvard? Harvard number one and then, and then Montreal Canadian. Right, and then remember he bolted for the Quebec League? At the yep. instructions of the Canadians, and then his yep. career never panned out, you know. And uh, he's back now uh, as a, a student assistant for Teddy Donato at Harvard. Yeah, pretty cool. Well, you know, the, it's good on the, Teddy the to let him is, do that. Yeah, the world isn't very round, you know. And I felt, you know, something more ironic to bring up Louis Blank. I remember, I think, being at one of his last games as it was going to be up in Dartmouth, and I really felt bad. For a kid like him, who seemed to have been swayed by some undue influences, to, yep. to both, I think, after the sophomore year he left, I believe. Mm. Um, and I really felt bad that he did that. I mean, look at look at Jimmy Vesey. You know, he stays not only the three years, but he stays the fourth year. Um, and then, I mean, his future is, like, limitless in terms of earning potential. And, and the thing that Vesey said to me at the Hobie Baker Award was, uh, of, the, of the three things he got to do, uh, sign with the Rangers, get the Hobie Baker, and get a Harvard degree. He really felt the Harvard degree was probably the biggest of those three achievements. Yeah, and it's interesting because I found out about Louis um, through I was listening to Pierre Maguire on uh, TSN six ninety in Montreal a few weeks back, and he, you know, he said he spoke with Louis, sat down with him a bit uh, at a practice, and he said the kid couldn't be happier. You know, he realizes his mistake, and he sees, feels like he's getting a clean slate. He's getting a second chance uh, at life, you know, and he's back there getting his education, and now he's starting to say, hey, maybe, you know, it didn't work out as a player, and I was really upset about that, but now maybe, I, maybe I've maybe i got something in coaching too, you know, I'll get my degree, see where it goes. And so, you know, good on Harvard and Teddy Donato uh, to do that for him, you know, and not not hold bad feelings from what happened before. Yeah, you know, and then, of course, you know, uh, anything that you can do with Harvard subjects is plus you. That story reminds me of one I had with Patrick Foley, who played for UNH. Mm-hmm. And I think he played some with the Penguins. His, his, his professional life didn't particularly. I think he could have it also as a sister. Help me out. I'll I check think it Patrick out. Patrick Foley's there also. Anyway, Patrick told me that at some point in time he had to have a, he called it kind of a funeral for skates. So he had to bury the skates and get on with his life. I thought it was a great conversation about what these guys have to face up to when they realize their playing career. It's probably over at whatever level, um, especially the pro level, when you don't get much of a career to begin with. But, you know, these, at some point in time, you need to figure out what you're going to do after hockey. And, you know, hats off to a blank, but I'm sure behind that 
that happiness, you know, just some unfortunate decision-making down the road, which is a lesson for all these kids. You know, if in doubt, stay in school. It's not, it, it doesn't get much simpler than that. Yeah. If you're not sure, stay in school. I've talked to probably 50 pros that you have tumor up, and they'll tell you the best four years or three years of their lives, regardless of what they're making, was when they were in college. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, Bob, let, let's stay sort of in the Ivy League a bit there as we uh, look at the standings here at this as we approach the holiday break. And the ECAC uh, Union and St. Lawrence are atop there right now. And I know that uh, you want to talk about sort of the rebound season that St. Lawrence is having under Mark Morris. Yeah, quick comment, quick, uh, a quick comment about Union. Yeah, they're back where they should be. It took them a couple of years to rebuild after winning the national championship in 2014, but Rick Bennett's a really good coach. He's got a kid, Mike Vecchioni, who's the leading scorer in the country with 35 points, I think, in 17 or 18 games. So hats off to Rick Bennett. But, you know, right on the heels of the Union Dutchman is St. Lawrence. And I, I love the story about Mike Morris. We got to talk about some of the new coaches a few weeks, several weeks ago on the show. And Mark Morris was a longtime coach at Clarkson. I believe took the uh, Golden Knights to seven, I think it's the Golden Knights, to nine, nine trips to the NCAAs. Uh, I think in 15 or 16 years. And unfortunately, maybe eight years ago, help me out, maybe he got into a little bit of a, a problem with a player after practice and some accusations about physical contact, you know, a little bit of abusive, quote, abusive punishment. But, hey, you know, some of that stuff stays in the locker room forever. But in this case, it did. But Morris found himself out of a job at, at Foxton, and it took him eight years. And hats off to a lot of the former players who came to bat for him. And then when the St. Lawrence coach moved on, I believe, to UMass, uh, St. Lawrence, St. Lawrence are on a short limb. And I think it's a very short one. Hired Mark Morris. This guy knows how to get a team to play fundamentals, play for in, in big games, and most importantly, prepare for one in an NCAA tournament. So don't be surprised if we're talking in mid to late March about St. Lawrence being in being one of the 16 teams in the NCAA tournament. So I don't think we should ever miss a chance to give a public congrats to Mark Morris for bouncing back at St. Lawrence and Fox. Yeah, and you're right. It was a an on ice incident there. He uh, he went sort of got into a fisticuff with one of his players uh, during a practice uh, in Clarkson. But uh, obviously, he's moved on from that, and good for him that he's turning his uh, career around there. And by the way, Patrick Foley is at Northeastern now. Uh, Bob, okay. yep, he's Thank the assistant you. there at Northeastern. He jumped around. I think he, I think he was at either, I think he was at Harvard for a while. But anyway, good thing. But Northeastern with. Uh, with our good friend, um, Mr. Gatt- uh, Madigan, yeah. who helped me Madigan. drink out of the Stanley Cup one time in his backyard when he was with the Penguins, and they won it in uh, 2009. It was great. Well, I've seen a lot of people help me drink out of many a cup. <laughs> but they're not always Stanley, and that was one memory for sure. <laughs> hey, uh, let's keep looking at the standings here right now. Let's look at the Hockey East. Uh, BC sits atop at 8-1-1 and right now, uh, and UMass Lowell right behind them. And then... We've discussed this since we have head coach Dickie Millian, uh every yep. week. Uh, the U- UNH Wildcats in third place. Who would have saw that coming into the season? I have one and one in, in Hockey East, right behind Powerhouse and CC and Lowell. Lowell is a, uh, is a, is a powerhouse. I know Bazin has done a great, great job at mm. Lowell. And that team came in a few whiskeys to play for national championship the last couple of years. It's been the, I think it's been the trend, but maybe... Maybe four or five out of five or six years he's been coached now. Lowell's yep. the tournament come uh, late March. But yep. that's off to Dickie Millie. We like to plug Dickie Millie. Obviously, this is a New Hampshire-based show. But those of us who know Dickie Millie well, and I know him very well as you do, Murph, uh, one of the all-time really good guys with one of the all-time really good programs. And 
you know, as as humane as the sport in in uh, in the in the, in the state of Maine, uh, UNH hockey is probably the biggest sport in New Hampshire, also. For sure, and you know, if they keep that up, I mean, they could have an outside chance uh, of getting in yeah. uh, to the yeah. NCAA's if they can keep that up quickly. Bob, uh, Minnesota Duluth is atop the uh, the NCHC. And in the WCHA, Bemidji State sits atop there. Bob, I remember, you know, when when we first started covering hockey together, and then you got me in there with NHL.com covering college hockey, and you assigned me to do a story, and I couldn't even say the name Bemidji State, let alone spell it. And now look at that team about 10 years later. And and, and they're just a perennial power out there. It's amazing. Yeah, they do a, good, they do a really good job. I mean, they're a good coach in the territory, and but don't forget, this is in a bit of the newly constructed WCHA, so that does help them a bit. But nonetheless, the Midget State, uh, the fact that they have been right around the top of that league since it was restructured, you know, it's a testament to that school. That was always kind of the, that was kind of, if you will, the, uh, the, um, the question about the Minnesota-based teams, which named the Minnesota-based teams in yeah, the WCHA. Yeah. And the Midget State was always the one that would stump a lot of people. They couldn't quite figure out who the other team was the Midget State. But yeah, Michigan Tech, too. Hey, listen. You know, Mel Pearson comes over from Michigan to Michigan Tech. All he's done with that program is take it from the cellar to the top of that league also. So, that's off to Michigan State. They've done a great job. You know, some, some, maybe sometime we have nothing to talk about on the show. With, with, with me, is almost all the time. But in any event, <laughs> we'll talk about nothing. Um, it's really a great story. There's another, another team that probably 9 out of 10 listeners wouldn't even believe is a hockey team. Alabama Huntsville is oh, yeah. third in the W. Third in the WCA pick. Can you believe that? Yep, and and who was the goalie? Was it last year or the year before? The goalie got the call up and uh, he had like a yeah. shutout in his first game. Who the hell was that? And I don't know if it was. But we're know, gonna do some research. You you do the homework while I give you another anecdote about Elton. They were on the verge of going under as a program. I think just three or four years ago. Yep. They were on the verge of going under. I remember that. And they were resurrected by some great alumni support, some great internal work in the Alabama in the Huntsville community. And they had some, some help me out. There's one of the NHL players' dad, uh, his brother played on one team, and then the, the player for Huntsville was obviously the brother, but the dad was heavily involved. Oh, Jeffrey on, Jeffrey on, boom, boom, Jeffrey on. That's right, on. yep. Was a player for Alabama Huntsville, and the Jeffrey on family jumped in and helped resurrect anything that was going to look like a diminution of that team or even a dissolution and brought it back to where it's third in third WCHA in several years. That's awesome. Great stuff. Well, yeah, I'll do some uh, research. We'll get back to that the next time we talk. Bob, always a pleasure, my friend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Minnesota Duluth and Denver next week because that was a great series last weekend. Definitely Denver because I got some stuff I can tell you about them too. I was with uh, Mike Chambers at Denver Post last week. Gave me some interesting insight to that program, so we'll discuss that for sure. Okay, buddy. All right, that's Bob Snow, longtime NHL.com college hockey writer, joining us here on the Stretch Run on ESPN New Hampshire. We're going to keep it with hockey and go to the NHL level and talk some Boston Bruins and the Canadians from last night and look ahead to the Pittsburgh Penguins game tomorrow with Mick Collagio, New Bedford Standard Time. So stay with us. We'll be back. <laughs> 